What's this thing about parrots? I... So let's see now, because there's there's a there's a the, that you're gonna call that you, that's gonna be your opening segue. Yeah, parrots. Isn't no, it? what's this it, thing about parrots? Is your segue? Uh, no, no, no. The segue hasn't come yet. The, so the the, <laughs> the 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 kickoff is um, we've all seen uh, FBOs that have dogs or cats or or whatever. All right, uh, but here's a, a a story or at least a tweet about an FBO that has a parrot. Um, which uh, let's see now. Uh, oh, and then oh, look at this. Some of the some of the responses have to do with let's see now. Is parrot really well, a, a an aviation? There was term? a there was a thing. Oh, uh, see, there was some some parrots that have been trained to curse. Well, that's and, what. And, yeah, and in like a commercial establishment or something, and a pet store or yes. something. Well, that, and and the owners. Uh, uh, customers would get cussed at and some of them got offended i mean come on it's a parrot yeah. uh, well, but, uh, but the way i heard the story so yeah i mean that's where i was going to go with this all right was that story which is not yeah. not really an aviation story apparently it's not an aviation story this is a story about an fbo that has a, a parrot for the uh, sort of resident pet and uh, and and by the way i'm not convinced this is a parrot to be honest with you all right this is a a parrot parrot family Cock bird. a cockatiel uh, you know, I, a long time ago, I had occasion to own for about six months um, a, a bird that looked very much like this. It was called a rainbow lorry. Um, and, and I don't exactly know how it works, whether that's a parrot, you know, and that's just a type of parrot, or whether parrots are something particular. It's a beautiful bird, if I um, just from what we can see of it on the picture. Beautiful plumage. Yeah. And and I can sort of see um, that at the wing, t if you look down at the sort of wing tips, the tips of the wings, which are, you know, not spread out now, there's some color down there. And that's that's reminiscent of this rainbow lorry that I, I had years and years ago. It was a beautiful, beautiful bird um, and a very friendly bird, but uh, a really loud bird. The rainbow lorries are, are, are apparently known for being very vocal. And that's why we finally had to had to find a new home for it, because well, it that, was, that's that's because they. They have to be loud to get over the noise of all those pirates. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Well, see, now that takes us back to whether or not this is actually a parrot. Um, but no, the other the story that I, yeah, so uh, the problem with an FBO having a parrot, here's where I'm, here's my attempt at a segue. The problem with an FBO having a parrot as the, as the resident pet is that apparently these parrots like to curse. And I don't have a link to that story, but you, Jeb, you obviously have heard this story. Well, no, I, I've heard a story. There was something in the, I don't, I didn't know if it was an FBO or what kind of business it was. But there was some thing in the news over the last week or so about parrots that had to be relocated because they were cussing out customers. Yes, yes, but not simply relocated. I mean, not simply relocated. Apparently, they had to be separated because. <laughs> now, let's see if we can find this story here. Parrots. It's like fifth grade. Yeah. No, literally, parrots cursing. Let's see if I can find oh. this here. Uh, parrots cursing. Somewhere somewhere in the annals. All right, this is of, CBS News. All right, five just, parrots. Just, just real quickly, somewhere in the annals of, of, of show business, there is a maxim that you never work with animals. Okay. <laughs> and, and children. And, and to the extent that this podcast is show business, here we go, down that, down that corridor. Um, this is from, see, I just found this, cbsnews.com. A British wildlife sanctuary has been forced to separate five parrots who wouldn't stop swearing at visitors. 
keepers <laughs> say. And this is the best part, all right? Because, you know, so parents learn to curse, and they don't really know what they're saying. And for some reason, maybe they, because it gets a reaction, it reinforces it or something like that, all right? But here's the part of the story I love, which is keepers say the birds encouraged each other to keep cursing and had to be moved <laughs> from the main outdoor aviary, all right? So apparently these, however many there were, does it say how many? Uh, uh, I don't have this link. You, you didn't send it. Oh, okay. Let me hear it. Here, copy, uh, send message, uh, go. There you go. Um, uh, oh, they've got names: Bill, Billy, and Eric, Tyson, Jade, and Elsie. So five names were removed, five of them. I was were, thinking three were removed from view five. this week. The Associated Press reports uh, they recently joined the Lincolnshire Wildlife Center's colony of 200 African gray parrots in August. They were put in quarantine together and quickly overwhelmed the staff with their naughty language. Uh, there's a quote here from someone on the says so we we are quite used to parrots. Wearing, but we've never had five at the same time. Most par- parrots clam out, clam up outside, but for some reason these five relish it. So apparently, it's like they were. I don't know. You know, it's like so. So here's what. Yeah, yeah. We got to find an FBO who wants five parrots. Well, okay, yeah. Well, we've got one here. So this is the, one. the, the tweet from from Matt uh, from Indo Pilot to, at Twitter, um, and uh, he 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 says, uh, well, he just all he says is he doesn't tell us all, which one all it is. FBOs should all FBOs should have a parrot. All right. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm assuming that this is a, an FBO parrot. Maybe this isn't. Maybe he's just kind of I, making. I kind of I kind of get that. I don't. It certainly could be the the structure, the yeah. building looks like it certainly could be the inside of an FBI. Yeah. Now here's the aviation connection. Our pal Dave uh, Allen um, uh, chimes in here on the on the replies, uh, saying. Um, Early, he, he says, and I'm going to assume there's some accuracy here, early versions of aircraft transponders were called parrots, he says. Um, and when pilots needed to send the transponder signal um, so that they could be identified, that would, and this is where the word squawk comes from, according to Dave Allen. All right. Um, so uh, that's Wait. kind of interesting. David, do you were back around back in the days of the when av- airplanes were invented? No, <laughs> see, why do I keep doing that? Uh, but David had, knows all this, all these fun facts. David, do you know anything about um, transponders being somehow named after parrots? I've heard this from some of the old, old, old pilots that uh, used to come to a meeting I go to every night. Ah, okay. But most of them are deceased now. Where but do you? Th- I'm but, sorry, Dave. Go we'll ahead. be having we'll be having our uh, monthly gathering a week from Monday, and I'll ask around. It's not where, that I w- want to parrot anything, but oh, see, okay. Where, where do you think the term squawk comes from, dear? Yeah, no. I mean, are you asking, or are you saying? I'm it's asking. Obvious? I'm asking. It's obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not to step on uh, what what Dave's friends might have to say, but yeah, um, the association with parroting or parrots and transponders is has it goes back a ways, mm-hmm. and to the to the. Um, um, at one point, there was, I think, the term throttle the squawk or something like that, like you ring in the, the, the parrot's neck to, Ooh, to yeah, get okay. it to stop, to, to turn off the transponder. But that kind of sort of went away. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I just wonder if these parrots enjoy kipping on their back. Enjoy what? 
kipping on their backs. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to look that one up, apparently. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought that would have been automatic for y'all. I, 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 know, I don't know. Anyways, all the, right. Well. The Norwegian blue enjoys kipping on its back. Uh, okay. Now, I'm starting to get the reference. Okay. I'm I starting just, to get the reference. It's funny I'm, that Norwegian blue just immediately, I, I, oh, Norwegian blue, right? You know? Uh, it's like, <laughs> right. Trying to return the parrot that curses, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. Is Never it was mind. it a parrot or it was a bee? That was another one that was all about a bee, right? A, uh, a, a deceased bee. Oh, never mind. Okay. Monty Python, folks. That's what we're talking about here. Monty Python. Um, at least I think we are. I'm well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, refer back to the movie "To Have and Have Not," which was nothing like the. the, the okay. Uh, the not not story. Monty Python. Another but, bee reference. Go ahead, David. Yeah. Have you ever been? bit by a dead bee stung by a dead bee right you know um and uh uh what's his name a classic legendary old character actor um who walter was actually brennan. Walter, walter brennan walter thank brennan, you that's right yeah. yeah who from my childhood i know him mostly from the real mccoys yes. um, the tv show that he was in but he was a he was i mean above and beyond the tv show he was a oh, terrific he was actor oscar. he was an oscar winner yeah yeah, he was a terrific actor, no question about it. Um, have you ever been but stung? He'd by been it? bit by a dead bee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can happen. It's more than just a thing. A thing. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's really true. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, all right. So uh, let's see now. Is it, what can we talk about having to do with aviation? Um, aviation. So um, our secret is out. All right, and that is the fact that uh, private aircraft are a hive of scum and villainy. As I think, um, is this in the story, Jeb, or did you make no, this? Uh, no, no. I, I, I added that for yeah. color. What is this story that you uh, wanted to call this our is attention a, this to? Is, I don't know if this is this is apparently a well USA. It's hard to tell. It's written, originally apparently written by uh, a reporter at the Louisville Courier Journal, and I think USA Today picked it up. Yeah, uh, it's a fairly lengthy story. I didn't count the words, but it basically um, says several times that travel by private aircraft uh, is. A insecure, B um, a a vector for uh, nefarious activities, and C um, they base all this on a case involving a guy who had apparently some money uh, and had some aircraft and was moving drugs all over the country using private jets and and maybe even on occasion a charter and. That's what this story is is about, and I'm I'm just kind of gobsmacked. My 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 gob has been smacked um, about this. It just it just keeps repeating all of this. You know, there's no there's no checks or balances. There's no security on, on all these private airplanes, and I'm thinking. You know, there aren't on your private car either. Yeah, I know. Or really. your private boat. Uh, I, think, or, I think it's time to your, do something about your this. Your RV. I think there's definitely time time to do something about this. And um, I will be first in line to to uh, ensure to, to that, what <laughs> to ensure that uh, cars are inspected the same way as as uh, these people want airplanes to be. That's inspected. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Rider yeah. rental vans, right? You know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's common knowledge here uh, that. One of the biggest 
drug running corridors in the United States is I thirty five. Yeah, <laughs> I ninety five. Probably I thirty five coming out of Mexico through Texas yeah. all yeah. the way up to Milwaukee. Uh, goes by Chicago along the way, Kansas City along the way. Uh, it's a good distribution route, from what I hear. Hey, listen, that's why that's why we created the interstate highway system for for. Drug trafficking? No, that's not why. Um, no, that's not right. But no. uh, that's been going on for years. Mm-hmm. When uh, Colorado legalized pot, what two, three years ago? More than uh, that, I think. But yeah, that that opened up another avenue of uh, what's the word on what here? Uh, increased surveillance on the around the state line between the Kansas uh, Highway Patrol the DEA and the uh, uh troopers from Colorado mm-hmm. uh and occasionally we'll see a story about somebody that got pulled over for a broken tail light and acted nervous enough that the trooper or the local sheriff called for a drug sniffing dog and the drug sniffing dog goes since Amelia, uh, and they found a load hidden in a spare tire. They found a load under the front seat somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not new, people. Yeah, uh, this is not new. Watching and, the borders. And as, yeah, and, and as Mister Burnside pointed out, we got all kinds of transportation here, other than private jets, that freely move about the country, carrying all kinds of contraband. Uh, I mean, it's not always drugs. The, the, I'm sorry, Jeb, go ahead. I was just going to say, back in the 60s, there was this movie about some guys who stashed some drugs in a motorcycle gas tank. Yeah, no, they t- oh, drove yeah, across okay. country. Yeah, the, right. The money, the drugs were in the batteries that those dirt mm-hmm. bikes mm-hmm. didn't need. And, yeah. Uh, they, I think they filled it with, I think it was supposed to be cocaine. We're talking about Easy Rider. Right. right. Yeah. And, uh, um, it's not just It's not just illicit you know, uh, drugs. This puts me in mind of one of my favorite stories about um, um, the alcohol trade, if you will. Sure. Uh, so uh, here in New England, um, for, for 30 years, I mean, all my life, basically, um, the state of New Hampshire has uh, made as one of its uh, major revenue sources um, that the state operates liquor stores, um, that uh, there are no private stores in New Hampshire that sell spirits. Um, it didn't used to be wine as well. Now, now grocery stores can sell wine. Grocery stores can sell beer and wine, but spirits, whiskey and vodka and et cetera, et cetera, can only be sold at these state liquor stores. It's been true for my entire life. Um, and New Hampshire uses and and so what you'll find all around the state is that right across the state line in New Hampshire, there's always a big, especially on the interstates, there's always a big state liquor store. All right, um, to try and entice people from Massachusetts or Vermont or Maine to come into the state to buy their liquor because it is slightly less expensive here. Um, and so what would happen, and this is the, my favorite story, is that there was a time when Massachusetts got a little pissed off at this. All right, and so Massachusetts didn't like the fact that Massachusetts residents were driving into New Hampshire buying liquor to escape Massachusetts liquor taxes and then driving back. So Massachusetts state police um, went into New Hampshire and staked out the parking lot of the state liquor store in New Hampshire, and they were actually trying to note Massachusetts license plates, all right? And the New Hampshire state police came and rousted out the 
Massachusetts State Police, <laughs> all right, and said, get out of here, all right, get back to your own state, all right? Slightly out of your jurisdiction. Yeah, folks. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so see, drug running is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a broad category. And, uh, <laughs> well, well, there's, there's good traffic in, uh, in uh, pharmaceuticals that are legally available through a prescription that are bought on the black market and stuffed into spare tires and moved from someplace where they're cheap and available like Arkansas, Missouri, and up to Chicago where there's a much more appreciative audience for that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just occurred to me we're going to get mail because we're apparently just not going to talk about aviation this entire episode. Well, we're, we're going to we're going to we're going to uh, we're going to I'll, pivot I'll, every subject. Away. I'll try to I'll try to bring us back around here real quick. Years ago, I was in a position to to um, um, be representing some segments of, of general aviation. This was just after the the nine eleven uh, tragedies, and. Uh, one of my jobs was was lobbying Capitol Hill. One of my tasks was lobbying Capitol Hill, and we had a senator uh, who wanted to you know, write a bill that man made mandatory airline style pre boarding screening for passengers and pilots of all general aviation aircraft in the country. And me and my staff literally spent days working with these people saying come on guys you're talking about a float plane launching from a no-name lake in alaska you're talking about a a crop duster you're talking about um a training school you're talking about pipeline patrol you're talking about parachute operations that's what you're envisioning Mm -hmm. in, in this a b Especially taking the the, uh, epi- the example of the No Name Lake in Alaska, you're going to put uh, a generator, um, some kind of housing, and all this kind of stuff in for each little lake in Alaska. Oh, we're not going to do that. Well, well, where are you going to draw the line? And it, it just got absurd. Uh, long story short, they never went forward with this. But this was a real deal back in well, the day. It, it, this came up not long after nine one one with the TSA yeah. Yeah. wanted to put the screeners, and they wanted the pilots to supply a uh, a, a list of who was flying with them so that they could be background checked. <laughs> and uh, I remember the guy getting up in front of the audience at NBAA and said, "I just want to put everybody's mind at ease." We've heard your concerns, and this proposal reflects your concerns. And it was the biggest load of blowing snow uh-huh. ever to show up in an NBAA meeting because the proposal reflected none of the industry's concerns, none of the criticisms uh-huh. of the ideas that we'd heard were floating around. And so I'm going to have to uh, uh, document taking my mother from Florida to Indiana on it, right. and I'm going to have to submit her name and her social security number so they could do a check to make sure that she was legal to fly on an airplane. They wanted stuff that even the airlines weren't having to do. Yeah. Uh, there was a time I um, Meg's Field in Chicago <clears throat> still, oh, yeah. op- still open at the time <clears throat> and I had occasion to go in there in early '02. Um, and there was a metal detector, maybe two. There were uh, city cops, maybe state patrol. I don't know, but there were armed, uniformed uh, police officers 
Um, and there was a form to fill out and all this nonsense just to get to my airplane that I'd flown in, you know, without any hassles or anything like that the day or so before. Um, at um, the so-called DC-3, some people call them the Maryland 3, I call them the DC-3 just because it rhymes. But um, back in that same basic time frame, there were uniformed officers at the airport. Um, they didn't have metal detectors that I recall, but... Um, they were there. You had to sign in, to sign out, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that went away. Has been replaced by the, uh, um, I forget the the exact the acronym, but it's the uh, um, flight restricted zone, the freeze. I'm sorry, um, for those three airports where you have to have your secret decoder ring to get in or out and file a flight plan and yada yada. Uh, but um, you know, cooler heads eventually prevailed. Mm-hmm. Is, is the punchline but that can go either way from here on out yeah yeah so anyways but we anyway we have rogue pilot trafficking uh billions of dollars this was one of my my favorite uh quotes from this story though it's impossible to quantify the volume of drugs on board private planes that are never searched yeah okay in other words you don't know you don't it could know. be zero could be zero yeah uh I, I, they, that that phrase captures it all. It's impossible to quantify something yeah. that doesn't happen. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, Here we go. All right. All right. Well, look out for those uh, private. Yeah, we've exhausted this. So look out for those private <clears throat> aircraft. They're they're we, they're. Uh, we have to remember that uh, you get the wrong t- wrong kind of chief executive in the White House. Uh. uh okay. And, all right. And this, and and this could come back again. Because there are people out there. I've met them at a couple of the local brew pubs. Who think it's criminal that people like you, Jack, Jeb, me, uh, are allowed allowed to just go into yeah. a, an airport and fly our airplane any way we want without yeah. getting permission from somebody? I, I I get that a lot. It's like um, I live at a residential airport. What does that mean? Well, it's a it's a neighborhood. We have a runway. You have an airplane? Yeah. Who do you have to talk to to take off? No one. What? Really? Um, yeah. Why would I need to talk to somebody? Well, I just thought that, well, no. I mean, you don't need to talk to somebody to drive your car somewhere, do you? Well, no, but I just, it's an airplane. Yeah. Um, and it kind of conversation goes downhill from there. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's, some of it starts from a misunderstanding of what an air traffic controller does. And they, they, some people don't know anything about aviation, and that's a lot of the world. Uh, believe that air traffic control is there to control our flying. And I try to explain to them that that's only uh, true in certain circumstances in certain airspace. For example, if I want to fly 500 miles through weather where I can't see the ground or horizon, the FAA would really like me to file an instrument flight plan and be guided under positive control by an air traffic controller. On the other hand, that same route on a day with no clouds, bright sunshine, uh, they really don't need to talk to me. 
Unless I'm going to try to sneak through the, <laughs> the St. Louis Bravo, yeah. and then they all want to talk to me. I had a, a friend who's who should have known better, uh, given his background. He asked me one day, he said, well, can you fly at night? <laughs> well, it's, it's shocking. I'm shocked yeah. to learn. Yeah. Well, there are countries, uh, I don't know if this is still true in Mexico, but uh, uh when uh, when my uh, late wife and my best buddy and I did our Millennium New Year party trip to uh, Cancun, uh, Mexico rules still required you to be on an instrument flight plan to fly at night. And that was in the process of going away. Yeah. Uh, because they found out that a lot of the airports that weren't instrument airports closed at night, so you couldn't use them as an alternate. And it was hindering their tourist traffic and their commercial traffic. So, it, it, it I believe it's gone away now. Uh, well, se- several years ago, I was dating a woman who had some friends on the east coast of Florida in Lauderdale, and we were talking about going to Bimini as as a couple of couples. And they have a, a boat. They had a boat that would do that. And I was like, all right, you know, I don't have any problem with that. How long a ride? Oh, about three hours. Okay. Um, what do I need to bring a passport? No. Do you need to do a manifest? No. Like, really? All of which you have to do to fly to Bimini. Yeah. You have to file advanced paperwork with Customs and Border Protection. You have to list a manifest. There has to be at least Social Security numbers. I don't know if it's passport information or exactly what's required anymore. Um, you have to get basically pre-clearance to get out of the U.S. and again to get back in. And mm-hmm. none of that happens with private boats. Where's Adam Clayton Powell when you need him most? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. On that note, uh, so, uh, David, what have you been up to? What's going on with you? Well, uh, just, uh, uh, today, Wednesday, yeah. I think Just so. Yesterday, yeah. I wrapped up the the bulk of my month's writing work, and uh, it's the fourteenth of the month. Yeah, good That's, for you. Well, it's it, and all my deadlines are are, are kind of squished into that first ten or twelve days of the month, almost every month, uh, and I'm usually late for some of it. And this time, I got everything done pretty close to on time, mm-hmm. and now I'm devoting my time to creating a, a, a pitch list for 2021 editorial for two different magazines. And I hope to finish that uh, by midday tomorrow and shoot them off to them because the more pitches I make, the more they approve, the more they approve, the more work I get, the more work I get, the better tax day looks. Uh, and other than that, uh, trying and not succeeding all that much, getting caught up on bookkeeping and accounting work. So mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm going to do after lunch uh, today is yeah. stick my nose in that because I've got a couple of invoices that are on hold until I get some numbers out of the bookkeeping. But uh, just it, it was an intense uh, first half of the month uh, at six projects have to go out the door and the smallest one was 1800 words so uh is that a lot uh, for you or is that is that a typical length or what's 
2,000 to 2,200 word is nominal for uh, uh, one one of my clients. Uh, another one, 1,400 to 2,000 words is the range they want. Uh, another one, it's just write as much as it takes. Yeah. And okay. sometimes that's a couple of thousand words. Sometimes it's only 1,200. Uh, and we have a nice relationship uh, where I get paid the same for the short story as I would for the long story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So we get uh, we're, we're getting more and more email from listeners, and I really love that. Um, and uh, and please keep it up. Please uh, please stay in touch, listeners. Um, and give us your feedback and and correct us. I told us. you not to put that change of address card. In. Yeah, I know. Uh, so uh, a- a- we get a lot of emails, and and I love them all. Um, but this one in particular really tickled me. Um, and uh, so a couple of episodes ago, we talked about two different subjects, and uh, and 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 re- related to those two different subjects. Subjects, uh, actually, maybe even more than two. We heard from um, listeners. Uh, it's actually a, a, mar- a married couple. Uh, Liam and Sharon um, are from Australia, and uh, and we actually met. I believe we met both of them, um, Liam and Liam and Sharon uh, at Oshkosh. Yeah, that's People, my those folks that gave us the uh, TSB hats. Yeah, yeah, the and that's that's correct. Um, and uh, uh, and I still have mine. I wear it from time to time. Uh, it's because uh, it, it's funny because nobody in the U.S. really recognizes the acronym ATSB. I, I wore it to my favorite brew pub on on Saturday night. And oh, somebody that's great. actually asked me what the what it meant. Yeah. So uh, so uh, Liam and Sharon uh, and uh, uh, Liam is a is a some sort of staffer, and I don't know his actual role, um, but he's a staffer for. For the ATSB and Sharon, they're both they're in a, quite the aviation couple because she uh, works for CAS uh, CASA, uh, which is the Civil Aviation Safety Authority in uh, in Australia. And I I can't do you know specifically is that the equivalent of our FAA or is Bas- that basically yes yeah okay so uh, Liam and Sharon and uh, they uh, sent us an email hi guys uh, you may or may not remember us but hopefully remember the ATSB swag bag and obviously we do thank you very much um anyways after having listened for all these years i finally have reason to comment on an episode uh not just one but two things for me to mention first of all and this is great this is great firstly um he says my wife and i are the proud owners of one of the Qantas 747 bar carts uh <laughs> it seems seemed fitting to me to have a piece of memorabilia from an aircraft that first flew in the same year i was born he writes um although the australian examples have retired three years earlier than I will. <laughs> okay. Um, and he sent us a picture of his Qantas bar cart, and uh, uh, it it looks great. I, for some reason, I had imagined them being much more beat up than this one. This one looks great. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, and I, I would I would imagine this is a picture that he took not specially for us, but because it still looks pretty pretty uh, packed, pretty uh, uh, you know. Uh, supplied um but so it's got a uh, what appears to be a bottle of uh, champagne or some sort of sparkling uh, uh, uh wine on the top along with two smaller bottles of uh, of uh you know just sort of regular wine red and white and then the the uh, the, the drawers are all filled with with various uh, uh things it looks great so there you go uh they they actually own one of these things and uh, that's that's terrific 
That's terrific. Um, secondly, he writes, uh, he says, the video about the 172 runway incursion, and this is pretty interesting if you ask me. Um, he, he says, uh, he writes, the, the go-around was filmed at Morabin, which I don't know if we knew this from the story. I don't think uh, we did. Yeah, and I'm going to say Morabin is the, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, uh, uh, YMMB is the uh, airport code um, in uh, Melbourne, Victoria, uh, in Australia. Um, he, he describes it as a suburban GA and training aerodrome uh, he says i uh let's see now what does he say he says uh uh, he says he basically he says he's familiar with this incident. Um, again, he doesn't imply that he had anything to do with investigating. That's the kind of thing I wanted to make clear here. Um, so it sounds like just a knowledgeable uh, uh, individual, but someone who paid attention. And so he gives us a few more details about this. He writes, it's a controlled aerodrome. And from memory, the taxiing aircraft was dual and was instructed to hold short. Unfortunately, the instructor was eyes down and didn't see that the student uh, was taxiing past the hold point until it was too late. Uh, yeah. He goes on to say the inbound 172. Yeah, listeners may record, I hope will remember, I'm, I hope I'm not being completely, um, 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 you know, not, not being clear here. Um, this was the one about the uh, aircraft on a uh, landing, uh, who just after touchdown, another aircraft taxied right out across the runway in front of him. And the landing aircraft had to firewall the, uh, the throttle and, uh, and go around, uh, uh, Liam and, and Sharon go on to say here, the inbound 172 was a private hire and powering up was probably their best option in the time available. He he writes, Morabin is a challenging location with two pairs of parallel runways plus a crossing runway and oh taxiways. Um, and he says he, he he describes it as having a few incursion hotspots. Um, anyways, he sends us a link to the chart. Yeah, the, the plan view of the airport is uh, uh, interesting for a, for a uh, in what way? How would you describe it? it? It's got a lot of runways <laughs> yeah. um, for a um, um, suburban airport. Um, suburban GA training aerodrome in uh it's got a lot of a lot of pavement mm-hmm. yeah so uh interesting story so uh, well, that's uh, a place where one of those taxi pro taxi guidance programs would be really handy I guess. I mean, I, you know, does, does, I mean, can, is, is it, well, I don't know how it works in Australia. Would there be enough money around to have that kind of thing installed at what is effectively a GA airport? I'm not sure I understand your question. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think what Dave's talking about is, is, um, um, getting your charting on your, on your iPad and, oh, and okay. being able to see what taxiway you're on and in some some applications some efbs you can tell it your taxi route and it will give you turn by turn instructions oh, okay no, that's not what i was alluding to that would be okay. great and that, that certainly could yeah. be done and that i i don't know if if Foreflight does that in australia or not i don't know if there is an app that does that in australia yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. an interesting question. Whether four flight, four flights, great and big, and I don't know whether they have a yeah. four, uh, an Australian. Liam and Sharon will have to fill us in on whether there's four flight or some equivalent um, in uh, in Australia. Finally, uh, uh, Liam and and uh, Sharon um, chime in as as did a couple of different listeners on the whole subject of the Tim Tams candy bars. Um, and uh, he he writes the Tim Tam slams are a thing. He says you can or you could for and he. He says 
you, you used to be able to buy Tim Tams at the Target stores here in the U.S., and uh, I've got it on my list to go maybe this afternoon to swing by my local Target hmm. and see whether or not I can get a uh, uh, Tim Tams bars. Although another listener commented that the t- Tim Tams that are sold in the U.S. aren't necessarily the same candy bar um, as you get in Australia in terms of the, the ingredients. Um, someone thought that the ones in the U.S. might have more sugar in them, which certainly is consistent with We Ugly Americans. It certainly, um, certainly would be of a piece. Yeah. And uh, so, anyways, uh, uh, Liam and Sharon uh, close by saying, sadly, it looks like our biannual visit to the U.S. and Oshkosh won't be possible next year. Uh, but here's to staying safe, looking out for each other, and making the most of life until things improve. Uh, blue skies, signed Liam and Sharon. So, uh, well, thank I was, you all. I just checked the Target.com site for Tim Tam and nothing comes up. Ah, uh, okay. So All right. I, I don't know what that means. It could be, yeah, it may not be the case anymore, but uh, uh, they may have him under a different name. That well, then, then, could be too. There's, but, um, yeah, no, I, kind, of defeat, kind of defeat the purpose though, wouldn't it? I, I'm sure before the next episode I will have checked, so I'll report yeah, back. Yeah, I'll report yeah. back. So, uh, anyways, that's great. What's well, next? It, it, it ought to be legal to have some of those shipped, don't you think? Oh yeah, well I heard from another listener who uh, who who offered to send us some our way um and, and maybe I'll take that person up on that. Um, yeah, send him a check. At the at the time I send I him a think- free subscription to the podcast. Yeah, there perfect. you go. Perfect. That seems fair. Um <laughs> Was a listener. Was a listener on Twitter who said, "I could probably arrange to send you some." And uh, um, and by the way, oh oh oh, by the way, so yeah, the Tim Tam thing gets a, gets a little bit, little bit ugly, a little bit ugly, uh-huh. um, because we heard from uh, New Zealand as well. All right, uh-huh. uh, and and apparently New Zealand lays claim to being the actual origin of the Tim Tam bar. Oh uh, uh, boy! And so. You know, I hope we haven't started some sort of international incident between between uh, New Zealand UCAP listeners and Australia New, UCAP listeners. But uh, anyways, time. It all, yeah. It, it all sounds so much more eloquent in the original Klingon. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> uh, Jeb, hi. How are you doing? What's uh, going on I'm, with you? I'm spiffy. I, uh, Is it been, still summer down there? It's still pretty much summer, yeah. Uh, it'll be 90 or so today. But, again, I think we've kind of passed the, the rain every day uh, part of the of the climate. Uh, it's too soon to tell, but um, you know, there you go. So um been puttering around, uh, kind, of, kind of like uh, we were talking earlier, dealing with a lot of paperwork. Uh, trying to get some things um, um, filed away, stored away, taking care of stuff that I've had to let slide over the last couple of months. Um, and uh, other than that, um, just kind of licking my wounds from the last uh, magazine cycle and gearing up for the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the the did your your lawn grow back yet? Or I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> Um, I don't know what. Uh, you Sorry, know, excuse me. The Sorry. lawn, the lawn is uh, just fine, thank you. There's got yeah. a few, I've had a contractor working uh, um, on some things outside, right? And there's been some tire tracks, shall we say, uh, uh, made in the yard, and I'm getting ready to. I'm gearing up to take care of those and uh, um, do some other work outside uh, related to all that all that that project. So. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll I mean, see. it's Florida. You it's know? Florida. It's time to start. It's getting well, time to be. You can work outside again. 
well, oh, well, there's that. But now I was just thinking that the, as far as the repairing the lawn is concerned, you know, basically just go out there with some sort of implement of destruction and, uh, you know, chop, you know, basically level out the trenches that the tires made. And then, uh, you know, two days later, the the underbrush will have grown back. Yeah, yeah. And, it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. It's just, you know, physical effort, manual labor. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a typist these days. So, well, and that's what we have handymen for. So, well, uh, and he's, he's been out of, out of state, uh, for personal reasons. He oh. will be, he will be back next week. Okay. Um, well, they, but, you know, all right. Well, he, he can't do it all by himself either. Well, why not? Uh, it's <sighs> the point of having it. Oh, no, see, no, no, this is going, this is getting ugly right now. Uh, all right. Well, that's great. That's great. Uh, it's, it's just uh, not right. Yeah. It's just not right. But I see somewhere on here that you put in a question about gear mirrors. Yes. Yes. So um, I, I saw a picture. This is a, a, a picture of the day um, uh, published by our friends over at GA News. Um, and it shows. Um, so the picture is uh, looking, so apparently, well, obviously, looking out the window in fl- during flight of a, uh, a high wing aircraft. And it's sort of a somewhat close-up, if you will, of where the wing strut joins the underside of the wing. And and in that area, and I don't know if it's actually against the strut or if it's spaced out from the strut, but there is one of these uh, convex um, wide-angle mirrors, round-shaped mirrors, um, that is mounted there under the wing. Um, and I guess the idea is that it gives you a view of uh, the undercarriage of your aircraft, uh, carriage of your aircraft, um, so that you can visually uh, confirm. Yes, okay, yes. that's the idea. That's yeah, the idea. Yeah. And and I I don't know what you're, you you brought it up, Jeb, but uh, the reason I put it on the list was to ask. What, it seems like a clever idea. My question is whether or not this is a legal modification of of an aircraft. It's, it has to be STC, is my understanding. Okay, and 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 saying it has to be STC'd is is like really tri- almost not trivializing, but but uh, an STC is not a simple thing. Is my point? It's not well, like it, it, you it get can't. a form and fill it out and boom. It it didn't used to be. Yeah. It, okay. Is the quick answer. Okay. But it's been simplified in recent years, uh, and for something like this, it could well be fill out a form, send it in provide an example or a sample or, or, you know, maybe some other documentation to the FAA and sit back and wait for them to give you your STC. The the avionics industry actually has, has done uh, a lot of the legwork over the last decade or so in making that kind of thing possible. Obviously, for avionics, where you've got, you know, a, a Garmin GTN that is the same throughout the world it fits in the same box it has that uses the same antennas it uses the same power um and it yes it needs an stc but it doesn't need um to be tested in all of these different aircraft types mm-hmm. um so you get one representative type and it fits in. Yeah, okay, check that box. And you get something called an approved model list, uh, supplemental type certificate that encompasses a much broader range of airframe types than the what might have occurred in the olden days, shall we say. Um, and these, these um, gear mirrors are very similar to that. I don't know if... 
um, it kind of depends on the source, if you will, uh, the, the manufacturer, the vendor of the gear mirror, they may have had to jump through some other hoops back in the day. Uh, but these days I'm seeing a website here, um, your choice of a 18172RG or a 182RG. Oh, okay. For, for, um, uh, $94.95. Oh, okay. and that, inc- see, that includes the STC. So, oh, see, can I? When I looked at this, I sort of presumed that it was a DIY one-off thing that someone had fashioned. I, it never occurred to me that, but of course, I guess it makes total sense that this would be a product that's gone through, that's, that's sure. jumped through the hoops, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, an STC, though. So, but let's go back to the example that you gave. That you can, you can, an individual could conceivably submit and receive an STC for some sort of modification. Oh, yeah, it's, it's done. These are. The, they, these are valuable assets, right? Isn't that true? Because once you have an STC, um, you can license it to other people, and and then they don't have to jump through those hoops. Is that how it works? That's exactly how it works. Yeah, um, you can do a one-time STC. Mm-hmm. You can do a limited edition STC. For example, I just doing some some reading in the last uh, well part of the magazine uh, for the November issue was. Um, a, a an accident involving a V-tail bonanza. Mm-hmm. This particular bonanza had been modified by an STLL, short takeoff and landing, STC. Um, that STC was only ever installed on three airframes. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't have to be a fleet-wide kind of thing. It can be if you want to do a bunch of work or a bunch of mods to your airplane and you have the wherewithal, both financial and uh, engineering um, um, acumen, you can do all of that yourself and get the STC. It may or may not be worth it, but that's not my decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And okay. there's different levels of STC, for example, the uh, the uh, gear mirror that we were looking at, they make that Webco here in Wichita makes and sells that that uh, that particular product, and uh, but there are other STCs where if you can show that how it uh, the uh, modification works in one airplane is going to be exactly the same in a bunch of other airplanes, right. you can list them provide the documentation about why it's going to be the same in all of those and get an approved model list STC. So instead of doing, you know, one after another, after another, after another, you do two. You do the original STC and then you submit an approved model list for the FAA to review. And if they agree that like that Garmin GTN, same antenna, same power, same wiring, going to work the same in a 182 as it does in a Cherokee. You get an approved model list and the approved model list can be for 400, 500, 600 airplanes. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's interesting. Thank yeah. you. That's good. That's interesting. Uh, what are we here? Um, the Jeb, you turned us onto this list of. Uh, so I have two questions. First of all, there's a real, whole bunch of really interesting looking airplanes here. I mean, odd yeah, airplanes, yeah. unusual airplanes. Um, first of all, let me ask you. So this is Hushkit.net. Isn't Hushkit one of these uh, aviation humor parody sites? This is a real list, right? This is a real list. Hushkit is. Um, 
alternative aviation. That's that's magazine. what it says. I was going to try to conjugate that, but yeah, please. Yeah, it, it's basically uh, alternative aviation uh, coverage. Okay, stuff that you won't read on on uh, mains. Okay, let me, let me rephrase that. Something you won't read on on a typical aviation website. Got it. And so uh, a, a whole bunch of really interesting oddball aircraft here. What's the what's the connection? What's this all about, Jim? I don't know that there. Well, the, the one connection is all of these are are proposed fighter aircraft for the U.S. Uh, military that were canceled for one reason or another. <laughs> didn't pass the ugly. Uh, didn't uh, didn't pass the fugly test. Yeah, right. Um, or did, as the case may or, be. Or did, as the case may be. Some of these look like. Um, Something straight out of a 1950s era science fiction film. It, yes, yeah, absolutely, and uh, uh, yeah. So there, I mean, it's kind some of some of these look just, like uh, a Burt Rutan design. I, there you go. Uh, I mean, the very first one in the list here is a is a a, a single engine prop plane, but with a, it's a pusher prop. It's uh-huh. it's mounted. Um, it, it's sort of like a a, a, a Skymaster, but without a nose aircraft. Uh, yeah, it looks it looks like someone took a torpedo. Yeah, that's uh, a, what pair, a pair of, of um, um, Corsair, World War II Corsair fighter wings. They are, yeah, okay, yeah. And, and turned the radial engine around and put it on the back end and then tacked on a couple of P-38 booms for a tail and said, wiped their hands and said, we're done. Yeah. The second one is uh, is somewhat conventional, except that there's no front half to this airplane. Uh, it's like the wing, <laughs> the, 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 the wing, the main wing is mounted um, not simply along the nose, but forward of the nose. The, the leading edge is further forward than the nose, the, 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 than the front edge of the fuselage Look, looks kind of like a link trainer bit off more than it could that does, it has a little bit of that link trainer yeah. shape to it doesn't it yeah and um, that's the mcdonald xp 67 moon bat from 1944 uh is that one that one is okay no wait no, I think you've jumped yeah, in here. He, no, I think, he, no, I think he's got the. Uh, no, 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 I don't. Know. No, no, I think Dave's right. I think Dave's yeah, right. They're, they, yeah. This is they've written this, and 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 so the first one, the one we talked about being a torpedo with an engine on the tail, is apparently a Grumman G thirty four Skyrocket. Um, and then the next one, and then yes, uh, the the Moon Bat is the one that has the wing ahead of the fuselage. Um, that looks a little bit like it does have that link trainer shape to the cockpit anyways um and then next is we're starting to get a little bit more traditional here um this is the let's see now i've got to scroll down to find the name it's a wait a minute is that the same? well now what's what's going on here is the lead graph yeah the lead, the lead image is just a lead image it's not associated with the text the the grumman g34 we're talking about is that twin that looked like it bit off the more than it could chew so, and then yeah. the next one is the moon bat because of the shape fuselage got it okay and yeah, then uh, yeah, we get down yeah. here to a uh, northrop uh f-18 well so this is f-18 so that's that F canceled i don't know um <clears throat> this particular uh, iteration is canceled yeah okay a lot of weird airplanes here. The uh, the uh, let's see now. Is this the Curtis Wright Ascender? Jump down a couple more. Another pusher um, aircraft uh, with a uh, with swept wings. Very very dramatically swept wings um, and funky winglets. Not at the wing tips, but sort of in from the wing tips, and a little bit of a canard wing up on the nose. 
with this weird airplane here. I'm, I'm reluctant to say what its name is. I, I'm, I'm, I want to say it's the Ascender because that's the. Uh, I'm recording. Go ahead. <clears throat> they get more conventional as the as the pictures go on here, um, but uh, yeah. Anyways, interesting list, Jeb. Yeah, don't worry. According to the text, yeah, what we were talking about is the Ascender. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, I, some of these I've never seen before. Yeah. Well, and, and, and we get down lower down the list. We get some uh, Lockheeds and, uh, and yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Volte Vanguards and, uh, and so forth. Um, but, uh, yeah, interesting interesting yeah. list of pictures here. And uh, I'm not, I, mean, I guess technically they were probably all canceled, but uh, – um, some we'll of them were. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was going to say we'll put a link in the show notes so people yeah. can. Uh, Some of them actually saw service, uh, but only in very limited numbers. Maybe as trainers or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After yeah. something else better came along and they canceled the contract. Yeah. Cool. But, uh, yeah. So after all that, Jack, what what have you been up to? Not too much. Unlike you guys, I you know my my day job has gone gone away for the duration of the pandemic, uh, and so I continue to just be hanging out at home. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm having a good old time uh, playing around with all kinds of different uh, uh, you know interests and pursuits and and whatnot. But uh, but uh, as I think it was you, Jeb, who first um, called my attention to the idea that we are in the movie Groundhog Day, where we're just living the same day over and over and over and over again. Um, but uh, you know things are progressing. We've, I think we've all settled down into a little bit of a of a, a new normal, um, where you know where this is this is the way the world works now, and we've kind of mostly, for the most part, figured out a way to to live yeah. our lives. I just need a job. I need a job that doesn't involve large groups of people. Is what I I, need. I think you should go find Andy McDowell. Okay, I know who Andy McDowell is. I'm trying to make the connection here. Groundhog give, give Day. Give me a hint. Groundhog What's, Day. Oh, Groundhog Day. Yes. Yeah. Well, that would. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I couldn't get near her. So I mean. Well, there's that. I know. mean, I mean, even outside of the pandemic, I probably couldn't get near her. But uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so well, uh, uh, you know, go ahead and stalk her, get arrested. That'll change things up for you. Yeah. Well, you know, that yeah, wouldn't be the first time. Ah. Uh, uh, it, it's been a you know. So we're we're you know we're kind of getting deep into fall here. Um, we haven't actually had the first frost yet, which is a little bit unusual. We're a little overdue for the first time that the temperature drops below freezing here. But uh, um, but we are dramatically into the foliage season. Um, it's I, I don't get very far afield from home these days. But looking around, I, I did go down to Lookout Point um, uh, one day last week, and uh, and the 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 trees, the leaves are very very pretty right now. And we're close to peak foliage right now. It's been a weird year, fall, fall foliage wise, um, be, not only because the climate is changing in general, but this year in particular is extraordinarily dry. Um, we are in a pretty serious drought up here, and apparently that's messing with the trees, changing their colors too. But uh, it, it's very pretty, and the the leaves are are doing their thing up here and uh, we thought we got we finally got some rain like yesterday and uh, everyone thought that that the associated winds were going to knock all the leaves off the trees finally which is the way it usually happens here one one storm will suddenly put all the leaves on the ground but it didn't at least not in my neighborhood here so uh so fall is fall it's nice i wish i could get out and and see more people but uh um you know getting along here um work-wise i'm i'm slowly catching up on ucap episodes i just owe everybody in the world particularly you two guys uh, some apologies for getting a little bit behind on the ucap episodes um but you know it's kind of 
since we don't talk about things that are terribly timely, I think it's my rationalization is that it's okay. But I'm going to get caught up, and I'm almost caught up now. Um, as a matter of fact, when you hear this episode, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that this episode will actually come out um, on schedule, um, you know, sort of our, our 10, 20, 30th of the month schedule. So uh, um, working on that, uh, trying to get back into a, into a, into a regular rotation. Um, and then uh, continuing to do the iOS programming, the iPhone programming, which I'm really, really enjoying. I, I've, I've been a programmer off and on forever, ever since I was, a, you know, I don't know what, in my 20s. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoy it, and, uh, and uh, I've been, been learning a lot about this. And man, oh man, computers are different now. It's funny because as a, as a programmer, I used to know a lot about the innards of computers. And over the years, when I kind of went into theater and then went into events, I drifted away from, from really understanding the nitty gritty of computers and CPUs and, you know, whatnot. Um, and uh, in that 20 years, uh, it, they've gotten really complicated. <laughs> CPUs are really, really complex things these days. It's pretty fascinating, but there's a learning curve involved here. And uh, so, uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's kind of one of the big things I'm up to now. And, uh, you know, reading email from listeners, having a good time with it. Anyways, yeah. Hey, I just wanted to say before we move on to the next story here uh, uh, that if you like what you're what we're doing here with the podcast, please consider supporting it with a financial donation. Um, as little as a few dollars a month really helps us in uh, enabling us to do this podcast. Uh, you can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal, uh, and we'd like to say thanks to a couple of recent PayPal supporters, Lars and David. Thank you. Uh, or you can become an automatic monthly supporter via Patreon. Uh, thanks to some of our Patreon supporters. Welcome to new Patreon supporter, Stephen D., uh, who just signed up in this past week. Uh, also, thank you to some of our... I went back and looked in some of our, our longest... So, uh, Some of the people who have been... Um, Patreon supporters for the longest time, way back to like uh, four years ago. Uh, Dean and Craig and Russ and Larry and Tom and Brian and others. Uh, to everyone who supports us on Patreon and by PayPal, uh, thank you. Uh, you folks are the best. Uh, for information on how uh, you can uh, uh, provide automatic support or by, pay to, or by PayPal, um, but for Patreon, go to patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. And on PayPal, you can make donations to the email address podcast at uncontrolled controlledairspace.com and if I went too fast with all this stuff you can get all this information by clicking in the box in the right hand column of the UCAP homepage at uncontrolledairspace.com thank you to everyone really appreciate it what's next here uh, let's see now uh, so maybe this is the maybe I've buried the lead here maybe this is the biggest story of the episode uh, but apparently there's a, a big Cessna um, AD that's just come out and it's yeah. going to involve a lot of inspections <laughs> and, boy is there ever and, and a handful of relatively expensive repairs uh, who wants to t describe this you guys uh, um, strut brace Cessnas most yeah. of them um, like, um, 150s 152s apparently aren't, do not apply but early 172s through early 210s um, have a uh, cracking or are suspected to have a cracking problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the AD calls for inspections. And uh, if cracks are found, um, a, a, an expensive uh, application of a kit. Yeah. That's the part that caught my attention, of course, is they say that the inspection's not terribly expensive, 
But if you need to do a repair, you buy this. The, the, the whole process, the kit and the labor, apparently, is anywhere from six to ten thousand dollars per aircraft. Is what the story I saw said. And the labor is substantial. Yeah. Well, I mean, is the labor on top of that, or does that include the labor? Well, that that's the estimate, including labor. Yeah. Okay. But the labor is substantial. The, the labor is the biggest chunk of the money that you're talking now, about. Now, so here. I mean, so apparently you can inspect this without taking things apart. Is that what I'm understanding here? But in order to actually, re- so it talks about repairing the cracks. That's what I saw. And uh, yeah, um, to that, inspect it, you'll probably remove the 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 cuff at the bottom of the strut. The, what might, I would call the fairing, the, the, fairing, the strut the fairing. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you might have to also remove some of the interior to get access to the structure behind it at that particular point in the cockpit, for example. And, and you'll need to be able to get a mirror through an opening in the floor yeah. to look at the uh, area where the uh, door post mm-hmm. and the lift strut come together beneath the seat. Okay. I mean, beneath the floor. Uh, and, uh, you know, probably two hours of labor. Taking it apart, looking at it, and putting yeah. it back together again. Yeah, the AD, the AD estimates one and a half. Well, you know, good luck. You know, okay. Whatever. Um, if uh, your airplane has cracks and needs the uh, the kit installed, um, thirty six work hours. Really? For a one seventy two. Uh, all actually, all of them, all the models listed here in this chart, this table. That's to fix it. That's to fix it. Thirty six hours, and the FAA is estimating eighty five bucks an hour, which is kind of nominal. Um, and then the parts cost varies from thirty five hundred or three thousand dollars, thirty one hundred dollars, to um, um, seventy five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. For the parts, and this affects almost fifteen thousand U.S. aircraft. Yeah. Man, and it's and this will get picked up uh, by some of the other countries that pay attention to what the FAA does, uh-huh. and will be applied to uh, uh, aircraft registered outside the U.S. but of the same make, model, and vintage uh, as the ones in the uh, uh, Airworthiness Directive here. Uh, this this could push a, a few old airplanes. Off the registry and into the salvage yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, has anybody, is there any ballpark on what percentage of the aircraft are going to actually need this fix? Do we think it's high or low or medium? Or I mean, Does the anybody fix, need a guess? The fix. I think how, many, how, many, how many airplanes are they going to discover? What percentage of the fleet are they going to discover these cracks when they go and look? Oh, there's no way of knowing that. Yeah, they don't? Okay. Part of the AD is to report findings. Right. Uh, so there, you may be reporting um, no fi- no cracks. You may be reporting uh, a crack in the application of the kit. Okay. Um, I, I get the yeah, – let's back up here. Um, the FAA estimates that this AD affects 14,653 airplanes of U.S. registry. And But by effect, they mean <clears throat> that's the number that need to be inspected. It's not clear what that means. Okay. It's not right. clear. They're saying um, uh, even the reporting requirement will take an hour of time. The inspection will take an hour and a half. <clears throat> and then the, the aforementioned 36 hours. It's interesting that, uh, again, each type from the strut brace 210 to the 207, 206, 182, and 172 
um, each of those requires only 36 uh, work hours. I, I just find that interesting. Hmm. Okay. Well, it, the, uh, the the FAA points out that the AD applies to aircraft that share the same design of the bulkhead and strut attach point. Yeah. Right. That, that's right. why it, 150s and 152s aren't on the list. Yeah. Okay. Or 140s, 120s. And then what are the dates and deadlines for this whole situation? Um. Does it There's say the, by when? Four, they four, have to? Yeah, four thousand hours um, on the airplane. If you've got four thousand hours, let me find this again. Um, I mean, this is not one of those deals where the airplanes are grounded now until they get inspected. Well, they might be grounded after the inspection. Yeah, understood. How's, how's that? How's understood. That? But yeah, I mean, the effective they, date's not until November twelfth. I'm sorry. Say again, David. The effective date of the airworthiness directive is not until November 12th. I see. Okay. And that's when it all kicks in. And uh, let's see what it says about time frame down here. Oh. Looking looking at the 4,000-hour mark, airplanes that have not uh, reached 4,000 hours time in service um, inspect prior to 4,000 hours or within the next 200 hours, whichever comes, whichever occurs later. Okay. Mm-hmm. For airplanes with 4,000 or more hours, uh, initial inspection with the, within 200 hours after the effective date or within 12 calendar months. Ah, okay. So this could be spread out over you know, a couple a, of years, a couple a year of years two, for, yeah. for aircraft in that, in that general vicinity. And then there's, there's a different breakdown, um, for uh, uh, airplanes that already have the kit installed, uh, do not remove do not remove the installed service kit, but inspect it for cracking that extends beyond the modified parts. So even hmm. if you've put a a kit on your airplane, you may still have to inspect. And the uh, thirty after the initial inspection, the thirty six month interval for inspecting this location. Uh, or 1,000 hours time in service, yeah. whichever occurs first. Crazy. So Crazy. This, this uh, fix that they proscribed does not take it off the inspection list. Yeah. It just fixes it so that it's safe, but you're going to have to have it looked at again no less than every 1,000 hours or 36 months. One One thing that I'm not clear on... Uh, is how what, what's the theory of how this cracking starts? Is it um, stress on the strut from normal operations, uh, from too, pulling too many G's, too much training, too many landings? What's the uh, what's the theory of of the damage? How, how does this occur? And I don't see that in the in the uh, in okay. AD. It may be here, but I just haven't found it yet. Yeah. Well, they, they do talk about it, uh, about forces that can contribute to the uh, the loads that cause the cracking. Okay. And, and, and it's basically everything that you do with the airplane. <laughs> taxiing, from taxiing it out, of, you know, out on the ramp to flight loads. Okay, uh, I see that now, yeah. And, and, and back again. So... You know, if it's uh, doing pipeline patrol, uh, that may be a, a, a factor that causes this to show up more in those airplanes. 
just as pipeline patrol is known to is known to be an issue for uh, a lot of the older uh, Cherokee sixes and and two thirty fives that were flown in pipeline patrol and had their own spar problems because of the loads imposed when you're down low and slow and you know looking at the pipeline markers. Uh, so you. Uh, you hit bumps in the air, you hit bumps on the ground, and because of the location of this, the landing gear and the lift strut all come together at that one spot. Mm-hmm. So basically anything that you do that moves the airplane can contribute to this condition. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the joys of airplane ownership, I guess, huh? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, it'll be a new thing to go on the pre-purchase inspection list for a lot of airplanes. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, it's fork time here. I want to thank you guys. It's uh, it's always a blast to get together. I, I don't know if it was apparent. This was actually a different time of the week and the, and the different time of the day than we usually get together. We For years now, we've been getting together in the morning, mostly on Thursdays, and it's currently Wednesday afternoon. So I don't know if that's changed the dynamic or not. We'll let listeners tell us whether it made a difference. I don't think so. So, but but I want to thank you guys. Uh, Jeff Burnside. Uh, Jeff is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, also as a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as avsafetymag. You can also find his work at ADA start over again, aea.net, avweb.com, and on Twitter, he's Burnside J. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at avbuyer.com, also at aea.net. On Twitter, he's Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most of the places uh, with the uh, all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube slash Jack Hodgson, Patreon slash Jack Hodgson. You can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section, and you can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. Hey, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Oh, the key to long life and happiness, uh, it's not a winning lottery ticket. It's flying because, as you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And let's remember that flying, like so many other parts of life, is full of possibilities and opportunities. Hurry up, people. We're losing the light. Gather around, gather around. Okay, this is the scene where the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. In this scene, their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the organizations they work with. So your motivation for this scene is anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Of course you knew that, right? Because it's in the script. Okay, places everybody. Lights. Quiet on set. Let's get it in this take this time. Camera rolling. Audio. Speed. And marker. UCAP disclaimer. Scene 23, take four. And action. Um, okay. 
let's see now. Uh, so uh, just to kind of wrap things up here, because um, we didn't talk about enough not aviation stuff at the very beginning. Let's talk about some not not aviation stuff here. Um, I, I was curious, Jeb, you and I had a, a brief phone conversation a while back where we got to talking a little bit about some of the TV we were watching. And I'm curious to David, are you, do you watch a lot? Are you watching a lot, a lot of us, myself included, are watching way more TV these days because of the pandemic. Um, and I'm wondering if you are, David, and if so, what are you watching? I'm not really watching that much TV. Uh, I'm either trying to get crap done around the house or mm-hmm. this evening when I'm not, when I feel like I've accomplished enough, uh, I'm going to, uh, back the little bimmer out of the driveway and head down to one of the brew pubs that I, uh-huh. uh, that, that I enjoy. Visiting. Yeah. Uh, old what stuff that I do watch old, uh, old original star Trek that's played every evening on one of the stations, uh, I DVR a ton of stuff and it, for watching later. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the other night, it was uh, there was a whole series of uh, uh, Marx Brothers movies. Oh, that would be great! And I DVR'd all of them, and you know, I'll I'll dribble them out. Football. Uh, I'm watching a bit of football, uh, pro football, and uh, it, it, sometimes, I, like last night, I. Uh, tuned into the first quarter of a game and said, yeah, I ain't interested in this game and went on and watched a movie mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that was I had on DVR. Uh, tonight I will probably watch a Peter Cushing movie, a Peter Cushing movie called Doctor Who and the Daleks. Oh, really? Is this an official Doctor Who movie or is this? Yeah. Yeah. From, but wait a minute, uh, isn't Peter Cushing... Who's Peter Cushing? He's somebody. He played some. He's uh, he's a. Uh, oh, he wasn't. He, he's the guy who was in in the Darth Vader suit. Is that what I'm thinking? No, uh, but he was. He played the Emperor. Oh, maybe that's uh, what it is. Okay, he played. I'm sorry, the Admiral on the uh, Death Star. Oh, okay, that's uh, where I'm. Uh, that's where and, I knew uh, came from. Okay, but he. Uh, this is. I think these are 1950s movies. Yeah, well, I mean, Doctor Who goes way back. Yeah, of course. And they made two or three of them with Peter Cushing playing Doctor Who. And the uh, crisis in whatever time zone and planet that they're on, and all of them is the Daleks, right? Uh, the bad guys, bad robots, bad robots, bad robots, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, I, what? Nothing. Nothing. I know, Jeff. You've been listening. To, you, you, I think you said you were watching some original Star Trek too. You yeah, I, I have. I have been when I've been watching television. Um, uh, over the last few weeks, yeah, I'll, I'll turn on uh, some Star Trek TOS, or uh, I, I'm enjoying. Uh, I started. Let me let me back up. I started with uh, Lower Decks, and got through an episode or two, and, and I'll go back to it at some point. Right. I, I just haven't been watching that much television. Yeah, um, I, I've actually been watching. I, I've watched more during the pandemic. I've watched more television than I have in in many years past. I for some, it's just one of the ways I'm passing the time, um, being stuck at home. Um, and uh, did so. I, I when we talked about this, Jeb, I mentioned to you the uh, the uh, Deep Space Nine Star Trek yes crossover that, episode. Yes, you did. And actually, I started that recently. Uh-huh. Also, it was uh, it's a deep Deep Space Nine. Yeah, Deep yeah, Space yeah, Nine yeah. crossover back to Trouble right. with Tribbles. Yeah, I, I started that, 
and um, um, enjoyed the first part of it. I, for one reason or another, I stopped watching that particular episode. Mm-hmm. I'll go. I'll get back to it next time I sit down in front of yeah. it. Yeah, David. It sounds like maybe you're familiar with that episode. Uh, I'm not on Deep Space Nine. I'm okay. Not, yeah, there's, was, there's an episode was, of Deep Space Nine. So a lot of people, if you're a Star Trek person, you're probably familiar with the with the legendary Trouble with Tribbles episode. Um, that where the Enterprise right. and their crew get tangled with a bunch of these little uh, 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 so-called adorable creatures, fuzzy creatures, and uh, puffballs. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, um, and and the the uh, you know the the crisis that ensues. Well, on, on the later uh, Star Trek series Deep Space Nine, there was an episode where the characters from Deep Space Nine um, accidentally, and by the way, this is my least favorite thing about Star Trek in general, and that's the whole subject of time travel. I think time travel is a huge cheat in in storytelling, and I don't like it. Um, But Deep Space Nine, um, the characters from Deep Space Nine inadvertently traveled back in time to the be in the in the in the background so to speak of the story that was going on with kirk and spock and everybody on the space station with the tribbles and i was going to say they go back to the space station right that, that, yeah. that, that, and it's really very out on it's kind of clever and pretty inventive first of all the story is inventive to kind of like we're seeing the story from another angle so to speak um also the production value was real i was really i watched it again recently and uh, i was really quite impressed with the with the quality of the of the production Given but the, do, you, do you know the name of the grain that they were supposed to protect? Oh, oh, try, try to trickle Try. <laughs> I'm it, close, right? I'm it, close. It was invented in Russia. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Quadrotriticale. Thank you. Um, anyways, uh, it was very well done pro- technically from a production point too. I, I, uh, uh, I, I, you know, the way they intermixed footage from the Star Trek original series with the footage from Deep Space Nine. Um, if you're at all I interested, have to keep my eyes open. But one of the uh, uh, ancillary cable channels here. That's it's. it's related to one of the broadcast stations uh sunday through friday they run episodes of every star trek series back to back to back to back to back starting with the original and in the next generation and in deep space nine and voyager and ending with uh uh oh uh, enterprise the, the uh, right the what was supposed to be the beginning the pre, of the, the prequel yeah the prequel yeah. prequel yeah right yeah and, and uh, uh, the only ones I watch are the original and and at lunch today uh, I'll, I'll turn on the tube while I have a bite and I will look to see what tonight's Star Trek original episode is and once in a while there's one pops up that I don't remember seeing, uh, but if it's one I want to watch again, yeah, I'll hit the little red button and get it on DVR. Tomorrow, I think it's tomorrow, we get uh, more uh, Star Trek Discovery episodes, and uh, um, which oh, uh, I've been DVR- right. I've been DVRing that. I haven't watched any of them yet. Now, so uh, and and it's an interesting example of the genre because um, it started out okay, and it got a little struggly in the fr- struggly is that a word in the first season, um, but it really kind of found its way in the second season, in my view. Um, and so uh, I, I would encourage people to stick with it or just jump to. 
the sort of the last couple episodes of season one, and then and then continue. So there's two seasons currently. Then and I think it's tomorrow we get the first episode of season three. Yeah. Um, Do either of you watch The Expanse? Have you watched? The no, Expanse? I don't even know if I'm familiar with it. What is it? What <clears throat> watch what? The Expanse. Um, no, it's it's an adaptation of a series of of uh, well regarded sci fi novels. Um, I forget where it went. Uh, it went into it went into uh, production maybe for um, I don't remember which which channel. It might have been for sci fi, um, and sci fi dropped it at one point. One of the um, upstart production companies picked it up, and I think it's been on Amazon. I think all five seasons are on Amazon, and there will mm-hmm. be a sixth season. I found it just incredibly interesting. It's, there's a lot of of it's it's not Star Trek, uh, okay, um, or any iteration of Star Trek, but it's a lot grittier. It's a lot. It, it, it's it's like you took the I won't say all the humor, but you took some of the humor out of um, oh, what, what was that one season uh, episode, the television sci-fi sci-fi television show. I know. Um, uh, me, uh, more of a hint. Uh, I'll think of it as soon as we log off. But uh, right. um, well, they at- did a movie. I, I can't. Yeah, but it's 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 grittier. It's it's more. Uh, believable. The science is is more um, believable. Um, things like that. There's you know all kinds of factions going on, and it's it's very good. Some some I won't say it's very good. There's some um, some actors in it that you would not normally expect to see in that kind of a production. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I'm it, looking at the Wikipedia page right yeah, now. It looks interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. 